0: Welcome to part two of our chequered flag chat with former Holden Motorsport media manager, Gerald McDonan. In this episode, Gerald talks about the challenges of running his own business and he reflects on the current state of the Australian circuit racing landscape. And yep, he tells us about the time he ended up on page three of the Age and Sydney Morning Herald newspapers after an altercation with Mark Scaife in 2013. So here it is, part two of our Check and Flag chat with Gerald McDonan. Let's discuss the sort of the, the transition because you worked for plastic, but then. I'll have to get you to to explain how this all unfolded, but there was something that happened. Was it within Holden or was it within Plastic's company that meant that he was no longer going to be doing the Holden Motorsport PR stuff, but then you had the opportunity to take it over running Holden Motorsport as one of the major clients for your business, for Rasky Media. How did that all sort of come about?
1: Um. Holden were winding back their budgets, uh, even at that early stage, so I worked for Plastic in uh, from 01 through to the end of 07, um, but towards the end of 07, um, Plastic had a meeting with John Ellsworth, who was then the um, Director of Sales and Marketing for Holden, the golden one, or the chosen head, um, everyone has a nickname like it, um, and... Um, uh, so Plastic had a meeting with him, and he came in after lunch, and he said, right, MacDornan, here's the uh, here's what's going on. Holden have cut their budget. So next year, uh, so in December, you're flung, uh, but you'll be doing the motorsport for them, and I'll be doing heritage stuff. And I said, well, well, well right. You know, I was very comfortable working for Plastic. But... Uh, uh, they decided to cut the budgets and um, it just wasn't enough for Plastic to continue, so he sort of uh, half-retired at that point and and uh, there was a little bit of money there. For me, it was less than what I was getting paid as a wage, <laughs> um, so, so I went on my own and um, uh, unfortunately, I think Plastic was a bit... Bit taken back by that, and um, you know, from then we haven't really spoken a hell of a lot, which you know, sort of is disappointing. I because you know, I've I owe the bloke a lot and I've got great admiration for him, I love him for the opportunity that he gave me and everything. Um, but you know, Holden made the decision, um, and the budget which I was given to run motorsport PR with from that point was one sixth of what it was two years prior. So that just tells you how much. Um, they'd slashed their budgets over the uh, and were slashing costs at that time and uh, so I went by myself and I you know for the first year I also got a hold of uh, Jack Daniels with um, Larry and uh, also super cheap um, weren't paying for their PR at that point and uh, they were moving to put Russell Ingall in the car with Paul Morris Uh, He was going to sponsor that So he was leaving Ford and coming back to Holden So uh, that's how Veracity started So with a little bit of Holden money And uh, topped up with Super Cheap and Jack Daniels um, That's what we went and did So my first announcement was that uh, Todd Kelly was going to uh, Larry Perkins For the 08 season And the second one was that Russell Ingall was coming back to Holden and would uh, have a two-car team with uh, Paul Morris at Paul Morris Motorsports with super cheap auto racing backing. and um, So they were fairly big announcements. They were in uh, December of that year because uh, I finished with Plastic yeah, at the start of December and I did those two announcements and um, away we went.
0: After working for so long for Plastic as a full-time employee, how much of a challenge was it for you making the transition to running your own business?
1: Oh, yeah, a hell of a lot, Lachlan, because, um, um yeah, no, it was a hell of, hell of a lot because, look, one of the things, I, and I'm still not good at, is asking people for money and charging people a lot of money.
0: You and me both. I think that's. I think that's a common problem for self-employed people within the motorsport industry. Uh, I, um, think,
1: I think plastic was. I think plastic was pretty good at it. I think he he did well and and rightly so. You know. Yeah, I mean, but uh, you know, he, I'm pretty good at undervaluing myself and and what I do. Um, so it was it was a great challenge and organising and and delegating early on. I mean, I. I had a you know a few employees along the way, and i wasn 't very good at it I just thought everything was about everything was about uh, um, the publicity and and not really the business and i you know had a couple of employees along the way that unfortunately I had to get rid of a few um, uh, it just didn 't work out you know and and it is a cutthroat world and there's you know it 's very easy to upset people it 's competitive um, So I had to get rid of a few along the way that I put on, and so there was a lot of challenges. And um, I think Plastic was far better at it than what I was, but we survived for ten years or so. So it's okay. Um, Yeah, it's a funny thing. It's it's you know Plastic was Holden's PR for um, twenty odd years, and I did it for ten years. And I sort of look at it as it was like replacing. Kevin Sheedy is the coach of Essendon, the, the guy that comes in behind, you know, pretty much going to be on a hiding into nothing. Uh, but I stuck around a lot longer than what Matthew Knights did at Essendon. So um, the next year, you know, we we uh, we had a record year in coverage. Um, you know, from a from a media point of view, I just worked so hard, and and I serviced Certainly on a Holden perspective, I overserviced Holden and, and gave them a lot more than what they were paying for just because, you know, you just want to do a good job. And, um, yeah, I worked pretty hard. And then, you know, the people come and work with me, you know, especially from you and Stewie later on and um, uh, Tom and Shay that I had working with us. Uh, everyone worked very hard and, you know, kept their eyes on uh, making sure we, we had a lot of publicity. We earned a lot of uh, media coverage out there.
0: Yeah, so it's probably a good time to talk about the time that I spent working for you at Veracity Media. So I joined the organisation in... Sorry, the dark years. Dark years. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, they weren't too dark because I lasted longer than a lot of your other employees. Uh,
1: Yeah, mate. Look, no, it was very enjoyable having having you there and I gave you the very difficult task of... uh, Following Russell Ingall around and um, he can be hard to handle. It, it's funny, you know, the personalities involved in the sport. You know, I, I mean, I worked with Murph and I'd known Murph from Motorsport News very well. And, you know, when I worked with him at the Kmart Racing days, you know, Murph could be very touchy. Uh, but wonderful, away from the track, when you're not talking motor racing, you wouldn't want a, another bloke. Around because he's a terrific guy, and uh, but he could be very touchy and shitty at the races. Oh, geez, I tell you what, some and in the Tasman year uh, in 07, you just didn't want to be involved with the bloke. But when you went to Bathurst, he's the world's greatest, or Pukekohe, all of a sudden the weight comes off the shoulders. He's at a venue that he wants to race at, they're fast, they're dangerous, that's what he loves. Best bloke ever, you know, he's back to being normal, Greg. On the flip side, Russell uh, phew, rest most of the time, pretty damn good. Good bloke. Get to Bathurst, my God, don't even go near him. Don't talk about him. Like it just, <laughs> it, it, it would flip the other way. But yeah, terrific guys, you know, but it, it, just the personalities. And, and uh, so I gave you the task of sticking with Russell for, for uh, what year was that? 2013?
0: Well, tw- 2013, yeah.
1: Yeah, and you did a terrific job, and uh, got a lot of publicity for him that year. We, uh, we you know, we did the most uh, ever events—two hundred and twenty-six events—up at Townsville, and a lot of publicity out of that, and down in Tasmania, and and, uh, and uh, of course it was going to be Russell's last year, but he somehow popped up the following year.
0: Um, uh, at we did the um, we did the Enforcers' last stand at Winton. The last well. stand
1: at Winton with um, Ned Kelly. We did the armour and the, the artwork. I've got the one of the two cutouts behind me right here now, actually in my garage. Um, uh, at which was terrific. We did, even did the last, um, his last, uh, not last stand, last enforcement. We did a poster for Sydney for his what was supposed to be his last full time race. It never turned up. The poster. Uh, got lost in the transit <laughs> from the printers to <laughs> the bloody racetrack. Uh, I've got those here in my garage, if anyone wants to buy them. Um, yeah, um, but no, no, huge amount of publicity that year, and uh, it was, was good. It was good having you, Lockie. It was good having everyone. Um, you know, it was,
0: we, I, certainly, I, I certainly learned a lot in that era, so it was about... 18 months, so I was there from September 2012 through until the end of February 2014. And one of the, the, probably the biggest thing that I took away was that you always prided yourself on your ability to generate mainstream media coverage. So it was coming up with ideas and concepts to cut through and make sure that you got on the prime time television news and in the major metropolitan newspapers. Yep. When you you look at that era and the amount of mainstream media coverage that we were able to achieve, and then you compare that to the current era of supercars. Is that drive to get mainstream coverage the sort of mentality that's maybe a bit lacking among some of the PR people that are in supercars these days?
1: Absolutely. I think, uh, look, there, there certainly needs to be a focus on social media, but I think um, that uh, people are misguided. There's probably one team that does it right in Pitt Lane at the moment. Um, and there's a lot of others that are lacking and uh, I you know and I think that leads to the 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 understanding of why teams struggle with attracting suitable major partners and commercial partners in their teams because they're not they're just talking to the same people over and over again with their social media they're not getting out there and and being seen more widely by people and look in 2014 and 2015 independent research despite the fact that the teams had not had a lot of on-track success over you know the previous years but the Holden Ra- and you know the Holden Racing team has a big legacy anyway but the Holden Racing team and Super Cheap Auto Racing were the number one and two teams verified by independent research uh, most recognisable teams in, in uh, supercars and they were amongst the top 10 Australian sporting teams, and I take a lot of pride in that because we kept them in front of the the, uh, the, the public, the mainstream, the general public, by, by trying to breach it. You know, we had James Courtney in swimming pool magazines. We had, you know, um, Maxim magazines. We had, you know, stories, and, you know, we would supply content for publications, you know. Um, I got, you know, Paul Gover we brought down in 2014 to drive the super cheap car before Bathurst and, you know, it was plastered in every major newspaper in Australia, full-page cover of the Cars Guide and then double-page spread inside. Well, that's coverage that, um, you know, knowing what they paid me, that coverage there was five times worth, if they had to go and buy that space, was five times worth what we got paid for for the year. That was one day and, uh, you know, we made sure that we had everyone on the news and we created, you know, Brett Murray at BAM Media, he, he was probably the first to have his own in-house camera and shoot his own stuff all the time and, he, you know, Crusher does a terrific job and very smart PR guy and and Ben Beasley too. Um, uh, but they're, they're guys that, you know, understood you've you got to give the media what they need, when they need it what they need and you've got to f- f- give them ideas and try and give them something that they can run with and, um, you know, that's something that I always did myself and, and, Lachlan, this goes back to the drag racing days and, I, you know, I mentioned earlier about Jeff Harris being the Herald Sun journalist. Well, but you, you go back to the early 90s and you, you can see a lot of stuff in the Herald Sun in Melbourne, the big, at the time the biggest newspaper in Australia that had you know, um, used to sell what, half a million copies a day and once a week there'd be a drag racing story or a NASCAR story in there. And I used to make sure that Jeff Harris kept getting supplied with drag racing stories, even though it wasn't my job. And so did Grant Nicholas, who was the PR guy, Calder. Um but we you know, we used to make sure that, you know, we were we were pushing the things along so that it it it, it breeds, you know. People get exposed to it well nowadays they 're not getting exposed to it enough. The one good thing mm. which has come out of this ISO deal and has been the e series, uh, which supercars have done exceptionally well and and all credit to uh, Nathan Prendergast and the team at uh, Supercars Media for that for their TV coverage of it they 've done it exceptionally well, and because of that it 's been picked up and and run, you know, and, and due to the fact that, you know, there's not a lot of news out there, it's, it's copped a huge amount of mainstream coverage and hopefully that coverage actually gets people to come to real races when they start happening again and people are allowed through the gates. That's what it's all about, mate. It's, the, you know, you try and... Well, I shouldn't say it while the ISO's on, but, you know if it looks great and, and people are happy and, and enjoying it and they're excited, it's infectious. And, mm. and you know, that's, if anything, I, you know, my, my passion for these things, um, I, I think that, you know, if you make it infectious and people get excited because you're excited and, you know, I think that's important. And, I, you know, I, I can't drive a race car for shit, mate. I can't drive a real car for shit. But, um, but seeing uh, a photo of my car in the paper or seeing it on the TV news or hearing the driver on the radio or seeing it on the internet, uh, that, that gets me excited. That's my win. You know, that's my race win. And, uh, you know, I think we had a lot of wins along the way.
0: We certainly did, and one of my enduring memories of working in your office when I was working on press releases or whatever it might have been, you'd always yell at me, what's the story? Don't tell everyone think, the secrets, could... <laughs> Lachlan.
1: Don't tell everyone the secrets.
0: it's <laughs> true. That's 250 um, an hour, what you're telling. <laughs> but... It's true, isn't it? And that's probably one of the enduring um, lessons that I've taken with me. Um,
1: and and you, and, since, and that's yeah. the, that's the great thing about it because and we've seen that with what you've gone on with, um, you know. And and I mean, I remember when you you came in and you wanted to move on and work for yourself and do more commentary, et cetera, which is terrific. But uh, you, you like the club racing and and. Not the super pressure of the supercars or whatever, you know, that's that is, and, and it is a tough game. Um, um, is club not just club racing, but you know, uh, p- more broad racing. Um, and and you've got those guys' coverage because you understand what is the story and how can I sell this. And look, this event may be not Channel 9 news today, but it might be wind news at Winton or Goulburn or whatever. and Hey, work
0: Correct. Yeah, and, and, and certainly, you know, for, for clients like the AMRS, the Australian Motor Racing Series, and some of the drivers that I've worked with, like Cameron Hill and, and Dylan O'Keefe, we've managed to get them some fairly decent, particularly in regional areas, um, get them some good publicity, which has been good. But I want to talk about a few of the, the funny stories, I think, from the time that I was working at you, Oh, sorry, working for you at Veracity Media. So one of the the memories that I had was the very first event that I worked for you at was the Bathurst 1000 in 2012. And this was when Holden had just launched the new Colorado, the Twin Cab Ute. Yes. And they had a promotion at Bathurst where they had a couple of them on display. Yep. Yep. Unfortunately, the promotional vehicles that turned up at Bathurst were absolutely filthy. And so one of the first jobs that you tasked me with was washing those cars so that they will spick and span. So that was a uh, fairly eye-opening insight into the types of work that you can do when you're involved in motorsport PR. That was for sure. Well, everyone has to get their hands dirty at some
1: point, Lockie. And... Uh as as unglorious as it might seem, that has to be done and and uh, I think after that we hired someone to watch them, didn't we but
0: we did thankfully, yeah, but my first job
1: my, my, my f- first job for plastic uh was um holden because plastic used to do holden's corporate p r as well we had k jeeves that uh look handled all of the product and um stuff behind the scenes for that but Uh, They were going to do the opening of the new engine plant at Fisherman's Bend, which made the high-feature V6 engine, which was in all of the Commodores up until the end of um, manufacture here in Australia. They exported a million of them or whatever around the world, but uh, the, the engine plant was new, and my first task was to get three chrome shovels for the launch. Uh, which is wonderful when you're told to do it on a Friday and the launch is on the Tuesday, but Monday is a public holiday. And uh, and I ended up driving all the way down to Warrigal because I found the shovel factory to buy three untreated shovels and get them to a chromers that were going to open up on the weekend and chrome plate me three shovels and get them to the ceremony on time with Holden... Logos and ribbons on them, so you all got to, you know, we all got to get get our hands dirty at some stage, and it's not all all uh, glorious, but yeah, that's washing cars. If you got to do it, you got to do it.
0: Another one was Barber Gallo 2013. You'd had yeah. um, a, a commemorative poster made up to celebrate when Craig Lowndes broke the record for most race wins in supercars. Yes. And, At which, uh, now, now,
1: now, now, Lachlan, now those posters had travelled to a number of events. Right? Yep. Because PR, you've got to plan an event, yeah? Correct. So
0: there was a chance that Allouds could have achieved this record race victory at at several events. So the the posters had been produced and they were ready to go for when he finally broke through.
1: And they'd been at the track in a transporter or in in a travel box or something. And somehow someone removed them.
0: Yes, and they ended up at the Veracity Media office in Clayton.
1: Yeah. Who was that? <laughs>
0: I wonder. Um, right, it Go
1: on. Explain what happened.
0: So what happened was that at the the workshop for Walkinshaw Racing, which was Holden Racing Team and the Super Cheap Auto Racing Team, one of the crew members had decided that these posters that had been in the truck for however long were in the way or obstructing them while they needed to pack the truck or whatever. And so they gave them to me. Um, and I took them back to the office, but unfortunately, I forgot, them to, I forgot to put them back in the transporters to make the journey across to Perth. So very unfortunately, when Craig Lowndes did break through for the record race victory at Perth, there were no posters. Yeah, I remember that, quite vividly. And, I, and I, had, I had the task of dealing with one very grumpy boss at the time. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> I, I, I,
1: as you say that, maybe you put this as the lead picture of, with the, the podcast. I did find a photo the other day of uh, you holding the poster, said poster. Uh, but I said at the time, I said, well, um, where are the posters on? Oh. So that you took them out of the thing. Where would you put them? Oh, at the office. So where are they? Oh, they're at the office. I said, well, Lachlan, you, remember those, you know those posters when historic moments happen in motorsport and there's those great photos of the person holding the poster and the people behind them holding the poster and, it, and it, you recognise what, what it's all about? And you said, yes. And I said, well, then this time we're not going to have those fucking photos, are we? And you looked at me and went, hmm, and it just dawned on you at that time, I think. But, you know, that's one of the things. We've got the photo of you with the poster in the office. That's the main thing.
0: Yeah, that was my penance, was that uh, I had to get my photo taken holding one of the posters to get uh, posted all over social media in disgrace. Yeah. Oh,
1: well, it's just one of yeah. those things, mate. Just <laughs> get grumpy for Again. five minutes and move
0: on. Yes, again, lesson learned. But one of the other things that happened in 2013 was there was an event over in America, at the Circuit of the Americas. Oh, yes. In Austin. And uh, we can talk about this on the podcast because it is now almost seven years ago, but there was a particular altercation that the Holden Motorsport PR manager at the time may have had in a bar or a nightclub with a former driver who had shaped a lot of motorsport success in a Holden. And uh, the incident was kept fairly quiet until a particular journalist managed to get hold of the police report after which it ended up on, I think it was, page three of the Herald Sun. Uh, um, the, the, what are your recollections? The age. Oh, the and age. the Sydney the Morning
1: age, Herald. okay. Ah, uh, oh, look, you're, you're obviously talking about the... The incident with Mark Scaife in the uh, the Blind Pig Bar in uh, on Sixth Street in Austin, and uh, look, it's not one of the stories that I've ever really spoken about. You know, it's not one of the great stories uh, of of life, really. But no, it's it happened, and you know, obviously at the time, being the Holden PR guy, and you and you you don't really want the story getting out. But look one of us had too much to drink and it wasn't me and uh that person might have been a bit angry that night and and uh played up and you know may have may have had a dip and got one for his corner that's really that's really it Lockie and you know thankfully i've got the receipt to show how many drinks i'd had that night um um and we'd had a very quiet night and I was out with, uh, with Simon McNamara who was the Holden Motorsport boss Peter Harker who's the motorsport uh, technical guy um, Garth Tander and uh, Greg Murphy and um, we'd been had a nice Texas barbecue dinner and, and we went to another bar where there was a wedding going on we a rooftop bar, Austin's a wonderful wonderful uh, city, loved it and loved the event there. And uh, Jack Perkins rang Murph up and said, "No, nah, you got to come to this bar." Blah blah blah. And and I remember Murph said, "We're not going where there's a lot of supercars people. We want a nice quiet night. We've had a good dinner. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good here." By the time we got there, about fifteen minutes later, the joint was chock a block full of supercars people. Um, and someone might add a bit too much to drink and look i you know while i've got great respect for his his driving career and what he's achieving his business career he's he's very good um scavey's not a blokey bloke and uh he i don't think he ever got on you know with i'm not his style of person and he might have had a bit too much and got a bit eager and and uh yeah come out of the clouds and might have cop one in the mouth and went back into the clouds and. Um, you know, I, I uh, the reason the police reported was actually, you know, it was a bit. <laughs> Scavey was the chairman of supercars at the time, and and I was just a lowly PR guy. And the following week, we were actually travelling up to Indianapolis for the Indy 500, Simon, myself, and uh, Chubby, Peter Harker. And uh, we were going to meet with Mark Royce, who at the time had been the. Head of Holden, terrific American guy, um, lifelong GM guy, who was the head of, he was the president of GM North America at the time and is now the president of General Motors Worldwide. And, you know, I just needed to protect my bum. And after talking with a couple of people and getting some advice, I made a, um, a report with the police. They wanted to arrest Scafie. He asked me what room he was in. He was staying in a different hotel, and I said, no, 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 I don't want him arrested. I'm just trying to protect my arse here. I'm not drunk. You can see that. And uh, um, I just want to, you know, show the bit of paper and have you verify that I'm not drunk. And there was an incident. And So, you know, obviously I'm concerned. Um, and, the, the, you know, I, I belted him. If I'm in trouble for that, you know, so be it. Um He said, no, no, no. He said, you're in Texas. If you had had a gun, you could have shot him. So I said, oh, well, maybe next year. But uh, this year, no. So, um, yeah, we filed the police report. And, you know, a lot of journalists asked me about it. And and I, I try and be truthful, Lachlan. That's what veracity means, honesty, integrity and credibility. And I'd always been up front and said, listen... I'm prepared to tell you, but it's an off the record chat and you're not to report it. And and each had agreed. And unfortunately, one, eight weeks later or six weeks later, said, Well, I've got the police report and I'm going to write the story. So, um, yeah, it it came out, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, just a scuffle. Was it? Was it? Mark
0: spoken. Yeah, did you and Mark talk at all, or have you spoken to him since then? Oh, look,
1: frostily. Frostily, um, look, I I got no grudge, I don't give a rat's ass. it was, it, it, it was what it was, um, um, yeah, yeah, as I said, i got greatest admiration for the bloke, he's got an incredible, uh, racing career, he's, um, you know, and he, 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 um, yeah, <laughs> you, you can't, can't knock the bloke, <laughs> he he just had too much juice, bit bit too many carriages that night, and, um, you know, I'd, I mean, the jokes amongst the drivers, the, you know, the drivers had said things to me through the years and I'd always said, you know, keep going, I'll fucking smash you as a joke. And, uh, you know, unfortunately one night it got tried out. Um, so, you know, I mean, look, you know, Mark, I, you know, I was always under the direction of Holden, but to be there during his last weeks as a driver in 2008... Uh, to have you know, I was involved behind the scenes, you know, at Bathurst. He he crashed the car. Tom wasn't happy. He wasn't driving well at the time. And to, to sit in a in a boardroom with you know John Rose from Holden and Craig Kelly's manager at the time, and you know, what what do you think should happen? And I said to to Mark at the time, look, I think you should retire from full time driving, and I don't think that got a a good reception, but you know he wasn't driving well, and he's admitted that later on. And you know he, he his mind was going in other areas of trying to do good things in the boardrooms, as he said. And um, but you know, when an upstart like me who can't drive says, "Look, I you know I think you should retire." Well, it's perhaps not a, not a thing. So you know, we'd always had a frosty relationship, at that from you know those those times, but. Mm-hmm. I said, I admire the bloke, he's, he's, he's terrific. I go, mate, if he wanted to have a beer and go out for lunch and all that, I'd, I'd be there, he's, he's fine, you know. So so what, say you have a Barney in a pub, I mean, plenty of people have done that.
0: Time heals all wounds, as they say. Yeah, I didn't have enough. Um, throughout those years of Veracity Mania, you had various employees... I left early in twenty fourteen, as I mentioned. But you had Stuart Bell works for you, Shay Riddell, who was a very, very talented graphic and video guru, uh, and Tom Worsley. Yep, yeah, Shay Shay still works
1: for me and with me. Yep,
0: yep, um, and yeah, Tom Tom Worsley, of course, who's one of my good mates yep. from university, who works for you for a while and has since gone on to a. Communications position within Bridgestone, Australia. Yep. How satisfying was it for you to be able to bring those people through and see their careers progressing?
1: Oh, it was great. I mean, Shay was super talented to start with. So, uh, no, no, it's terrific. It's, um, you like to see people move on. I'm, look, I'm, Lachlan, you're always pretty focused on where you wanted to go and you're doing what you wanted to do. Stewie's, um, he he he, you know, wanted to keep developing his skills, so he went off to TV land, and he's involved in those TVs F1 TV shows, you know, that they rip video off from testing and all that, and put put Formula One news about. He produces that sort of stuff, and I don't really haven't really had a lot to do with Stewie since he since he went, but uh, he's a terrific worker and a a, a good guy. Um, Tom, I'm very pleased with because he hadn't completed his degree um at the time um and he has now finally uh needed a fair bit of massaging and work and when he wanted to go I wasn't happy and I'd let him know um but he he is a terrific terrific guy and doing the job that he's had at Bridgestone you know the lady rang me up at the time for reference and um I was driving to Canberra actually to go to the Defence Force Academy and my son was thinking of going there at the time and um, the lady rang me up asking about Tom and I gave him that good a reference. I had my wife text him while I was driving and say, just text him and say, if you don't get a job from that, you'll never get a job. Um, and <laughs> uh, about 10 minutes later he rang on the phone, he's yelling down the phone, I got the job. So that was, yeah, it was terrific. And he's he's gone on since then, he's doing exceptionally well very proud of that he's and a good guy, and we keep in contact so like with yourself it's good
0: so over the next few years so we're now talking 2015 2016 you're getting more and more good results on the pr side of things with media coverage and punching out some social media content and achieving some really good results for your clients but Unfortunately, there were a few cruel twists. One of them was at the end of the 2015 season when Super Cheap Auto decided that they were going to take their sponsorship to a Ford team, which at that stage was Pro Drive Racing Australia. And because, obviously, of your tyre and Holden Motorsport being such a major client, it basically ended uh, your opportunity to continue to represent Super Cheap Auto. Is that just one of those really really tricky situations that sometimes rises in the motorsport industry
1: uh well my contract e- excluded me from doing it and and pro offered to have their pr done internally anyway so sort of you know saving super cheap money um but yeah, look, that pissed, pissed me off because then you know when I finished with Holden, the company that took over from me was do- doing the monster shit at uh, at Tickford Racing, you know with a Ford team, and you know they represent a Ford driver as well and and that was excluded from me, but that's just some of the crap that you have to go through dealing with companies like Holden, which was um, certainly out of whack for many years.
0: And then Holden started to wind back their support even more. They withdrew their backing from Walkinshaw Racing as the factory team. They decided that they were going to sponsor Red Bull Racing or Triple Eight Motorsport as the, the official factory team. So it was pretty obvious around that time, so in end of 2016, beginning of 2017, they were reigning in their motorsport investment. We saw that Simon McNamara, who was the long-time Holden Motorsport manager, departed. At that point, you're sort of starting to see that the writing is on the wall in terms of Rasty Media's involvement with representing Holden Motorsport.
1: Uh, Stevie Wonder could see it coming, locking and and the sad part is is that you know the, the the management changes. There's a there's a deal called the Peter Principle where people are, are promoted beyond their capabilities, and and Holden or General Motors was very very well known for that, and uh, unfortunately some people got into some roles, and you know motorsport became a struggle for the oh, probably the last. Um, probably the last eight, seven, seven years, and you would know the amount of times I'd, I'd had dramas and, you know, we were doing the managing directors through the 2010s. I think they had eight and or seven or eight, and, you know, Simon was constantly... He, his biggest struggle in at Holden was uh, justifying to Holden new management and management changes, why the company should go motor racing with everything else that was going on around... What they, 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 they kept failing to grasp was that Holden's market share amongst supercars and motorsport fans uh, was shown to be more than 50% greater than what its market share was. Right? So, so you know, if you had 5% of the market, amongst supercars fans, you had 7.5%. Or if you had 8%, Mm -hmm. among Supercars fans, you had 12%. And, uh, you know, the Peter Principle um, promoted poor-performing personnel to positions that they were incapable of being in. Uh, childish people that would stamp their feet and just wanted to make a decision for the sake of making a decision and fuck the consequences. And the problem was at Holden in the later years, the revolving door at the front of the building just kept seeing, you know, they, they were employing so many uh, interns that would make decisions and be gone in six months or 12 months later and they're putting people that were incapable of performing proper jobs, you know... And it gets back to some of the, uh, the, the, the activations that they did. And you'll remember the rainbow car that Nick Perkett carried at um, Albert Park. Now, yep. um, I was involved in a couple of discussions on the phone because at that point, you know, they got rid of Simon. You know, I mean, Simon heard about his departure from Holden uh, via a journalist at the Detroit Motor Show. An Australian journalist on a junket had been told by Holden personnel that Simon McNamara was going. That was in uh, early January um, or late December, whenever the Detroit Motor Show was on. And, you know, he was told by the managing director and his immediate bosses, blank to his face, that that wasn't the case. James Phelps reported it in the paper the week of the launch of the Red Bull Holden Racing Team was told blank to his face. On the day of the launch, he was told blank to his face that he wasn't going from Holden. He'd been there 22, 23 years. And uh, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, he got a tap on the shoulder and said, look, no, no, you are going. So, you know, they blatantly lied, blatantly lied uh, about what was going on. And, you know, they created such a divisive uh, deal... That you, know, you could see it all, it, and it had been going on for about three years at that point, and uh, you know, when they made the brand changes to holden, we've got to be focused more on women, and you know we've got to do the, the, the gay car, the 12 people on the telephone. and I piped up and said, "Look, it's the wrong thing to do." And I'll tell you why, and it was all about the same-sex marriage, right? Vote. Now I voted yes. I, I'm a great equal opportunities person, but wrong place, wrong time, learn your market. And they decided that they knew better. Now, 70%, over 70% of the responses online were negative to that. And the majority of the people that responded on Holden Motorsport social media, with Veracity Media's Holden Motorsport social media, said, We're sick of you people telling us. How to vote or what to do. Let us, we want to go to the car races to see car racing. Um, Mm. So, all of this stuff was going on. But when I piped up and said, no, wrong place, I was told, we knew you'd say that, you know. And I said, well, hang on, you know, we're going to upset our Heartland supporters. And uh, I was told that the Heartland supporters, they, they didn't worry about the Heartland supporters being upset. It was a social issue that was important, and they believed they had to take a stand. And that's not, you know, they're in the business of selling cars, not, not worrying about how people want to vote on same-sex marriage. And uh, I was told in that meeting, on, on one of the meetings on the telephone, Gerald, this is not about selling cars, this is about a social issue. Well, I'm sorry, the business is selling cars and you know, ultimately in the end look look where we are, Lockie. They had you a started listening. Right. They had a started listening. Um, you know, so you could see it all coming and and, and unfortunately the Peter principle proved to be perfectly correct, um or poignant. Um, because there were people there doing jobs and being nasty individuals that just shouldn't have been there. And uh now You know, there's other things going on around the world, but, you know, with General Motors, but, you know, (laughs) just shocking shit. I mean, Simon's replacement, right, here we go. Simon McNamara's replacement started in May. Now, when he was going, he rang me up when he was driving home after he'd been told we'd done the launch for the Red Bull Holden Racing Team, he rang me up and he said, well, I'm going. They've told me I'm going, blah, blah, blah. So I immediately emailed his immediate superior and said, well, Simon's told me he's going, blah, blah, blah. Who am I going to report to? And the answer was, well, we're not going to... This is a personnel issue. We're not, we won't discuss anything with you. But when the time is right, we'll tell you. So that was, what, January? His replacement started in uh, May... By September, I had still not been introduced to his replacement. So, you know, if you couldn't see you were on the outer there, and I was supposed to have a three-year contract, they got a two-year contract and all of these sorts of things, you know. And, I mean, the three-year contract offer was in writing, and then they had only come through with a two-year deal. And, you know, well, I mean, it's very sad. Um, and, and it's taken me a couple of years to get over it. Like, And I'm, I'm having a rip now, but, you know, I mean... Uh, for, for the two years after I stopped doing it, it's a pretty dark world out there and you know, I sat in a dark room a lot of the time because it 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 after you've devoted your life to success and you see that that what you're doing and the publicity you get and the success of the on track program that so many people contribute to gives your company that you're working for a 50% greater market share than what the company's doing in the rest of the marketplace. You know it's working. Um, when you see it getting destroyed, you, you, you really, you know, you, it sort of, it, it hurts a lot.
0: Especially when you've put your heart and soul into it like you had. And I know that a few months ago when it was announced that Holden would cease to exist as a brand, Altogether, You were very vocal on social media and on talkback radio about the series of bad decisions that had been made at a corporate level with elevating people who didn't have the experience or the knowledge into various positions like you were talking about and making decisions with marketing and advertising campaigns that basically alienated their... their um, they're rusted on supporters who who'd supported the brand for so many years. So one of the things that I want to touch on though, you've mentioned Simon McNamara and Peter Harker or or Chubbs as we refer to him as affectionately. I don't call
1: him Chubby Um, because he's fat.
0: (laughs) Chubby. Um, what have both of those in fact they're probably people who i'd like to have on this podcast at some stage because i think they'd have some really really interesting insights to provide but what do you think was the contribution that both simon and peter made to to holden and to the great motorsport community
1: certainly not as great as what i did lachlan but uh you know it's not (laughs) all about me um oh look it was immense and and uh you know, we had such a good working relationship. It's it's funny because, you know, in, in the the game, as Scafie calls it, in our game, um, you're away from home a lot and, and we'd be away from home 100 days a year. You know, it's, it's really once every three or four nights that you're not at home with your family and they'd come in blocks, obviously, of weekends or weeks away... Uh, you get into a routine and it's almost like you're married to the guys. And, look, Simon and I and Chubby and I, well, Simon, we, we call him bonce, uh, you know, use your head, your bonce. Um, chubby, you call him Chubby because he's... Don't call him Chubby because he's fat. Um, look, we had we had a great relationship and we don't, we don't socialise or never socialised outside of working together. Um, yeah, we text a lot, all the time, but... Um, but, uh, outside of racing, I can count the amount of times i 've seen Simon in the seventeen years that we worked together, and even since then, I can count the amount of times we 've seen each other at events other than motorsport be on two hands and uh, that's, I mean that 's how rare we 've ever seen each other outside the racing um, but you you work with great people and and, and you know I mean the signing of Triple eight to get them to holden was was one of the Big influences, and you know Simon was working behind the scenes with John Stevenson in the early two thousands, you know, on the Monaro project and and other things, and getting Todd Kelly to Larry Perkins, and you know, bringing young drivers on, you know, getting deals across the line with sponsors, getting Russell Ingall back to Holden with super cheap. Um, You know a lot, a lot of things. Doing the safaris and and those sorts of things. Uh, Craig Lowndes winning the Australian Safari in 2010, and um, and then Chubby working on the mechanical side of things, dealing with GM Racing in the US, and. Uh, while 888 and HRT you know Wolkenshaws were taking credit for the development of the the VEs or the VFs and the ZBs well you know the guy at the factory the liaison there yeah, you know, he, he did a hell of a lot of work and you know um, their influence I mean Simon got a lot of limelight and was seen on the television and they'd always mention him I mean that very rarely mention me or Chubby at all but you'd uh, be lucky once every three years um, but To the the mentions that Simon got, he was he was high profile, which is fine. Um, But their their influence and their contribution has been immense. And uh, VE and VF Commodores are the two most successful cars in Australian motor racing history. And you know, thanks to what those guys did.
0: So we turn our attention back to the present and we look at some of the things that you're involved in at the moment. We've seen that you've still been doing some stuff for James Courtney on a personal level. You've been broadcasting the motorsport show where you've had <laughs> a deal with you where you've, you've talked about the the current news and affairs in the Australian motorsport industry. You've also become involved with a very promising young Australian racing driver, Oscar Piastri, who many people have described as the driver with the greatest potential to become Australia's next Formula One candidate. So, working on these sorts of small projects, is that the kind of thing that's keeping you busy and satisfied for now?
1: Uh, look mate, I'd like to be doing a hell of a lot more um, As I said it, it, you know, It's taken me a couple of years to get my head around Not doing the holding stuff But um, look, they're, they're great things I've, I've been very lucky um, I've had An association with Richie Crampton Australia's um, Top fuel driver in America Who's won 10 NHRA National events, he's a very close friend Of mine and a great mate um, Uh, I've been very proud to work with him and, you know, we won the US Nationals, I say we because I was there and got to stand in in the winner's circle or victory lane with them while they, you know, the first ever win by an Australian in a professional top fuel category at the US Nationals, the biggest drag race on earth and he won the Rookie of the Year and he's finished as high as third and... Um, with James, yep, i just, uh, James and I, we keep in contact, he's been a driver that's, you know, has kept in contact with me even though the Holden thing had finished and, and, uh, he needed a little bit of assistance when he was leaving the Walkinshaw group and then also when he was leaving Team Sydney. And, uh, I talked to his manager, Alan Gow, uh, who heads up the British Touring Car Championship, I, we talk via text just about every day, um, but James at least once a week, um, Oscar, well, uh, you know, Oscar was up at uh, Norwell at the Norwell Motorplex with the dude and a couple of his mates, uh, sort of mid mid last year, mid to late last year, and uh, the dude didn't know who he was, and uh, his dad was there as well, and and the dude said, "Geez, you need a bit of publicity," you know. He, he found out what he was doing and who he was and everything, and I, uh, you know, I had a little bit of awareness to Oscar, but. Um, his his dad gave me a call and yeah we you know sort of late last I think it was about November or something we hooked up and sort of started to do a couple of things with him and I what a terrific young fella he is but he is now we, you know through the early motorsport years we mentioned earlier about Mark Webber and Phil and I you know got on well with Mark then and then he went off and I haven't seen Mark I've spoken to him on the telephone recently and via emails but. Uh, you know, it was twelve right through his Formula One career. I hadn't spoken to him, and um, but Oscar is the exact same person as Mark Webber when he was young, wanting to go to Formula One. I've never met another kid so focused, and uh, I think he'll go there. And he's got good personality as well. He's a good kid. Um, so uh, obviously hampered at the moment by as everyone else is. With um, he's sitting here in Melbourne. It's his longest stint home in Australia for 5 years but he, he he's great but yeah they keep keep me busy and got some other things on the go the motorsport shows good bit of fun Lachlan um perhaps not quite uh as polished or as uh, high budget as other shows um but always a bit of a laugh and we have good consistent and loyal viewers you know and I think we Uh, 11,000 12,000 views, the Bathurst ones last year, 70 odd thousand with 45,000 individual viewers tuning in so hopefully we might do one this week, tomorrow night, I'm not sure when your podcast uh, is up but I'm banned or Facebook by Facebook at the moment so hopefully I'll get on there um, uh, tomorrow night and do another show, have a bit of fun and a few beers
0: Looking forward to it. Um, so when you look back after everything that you've achieved during your time working in motorsport, can you single out any particular achievement that you're most proud of? Achievement?
1: Um, no. No, not at all. Um, I, 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 I don't think of achievements, I suppose, uh, for myself. Um, uh, but there's moments that that I have certainly been very proud to be part of uh, throughout throughout the thirty years. This year, thirty years um, that I've been involved. Um, aside from being a spectator, uh, been involved in the rise of of drag racing and the nationals at um, through the the early nineties. I lumbered my... I don't know how I got involved in doing television at the time, but I did television and radio. I had a, a couple of regular radio spots around Australia for five or six years, which was, I suppose are achievements. Um, talking motorsport. Um, very proud to have called Mick Doohan across the line for his fifth world title at Phillip Island with Ken Wooten in 1999... Uh, 98, I should say. Uh, that, was a, that was a great moment. Um... Bathurst, Lap of the Gods, gee, how can you go past that? But then also, you know, being a part of uh, Murph's Three Peats in um, in New Zealand, at Bookie. Um Being there for Garth Tander's wins at Bathurst and, and, and um, gee, being involved in getting Triple Eight to Holden. You know, that was 29th of um, July 2009 we announced that. Um, That was certainly They've gone on They've won 148 Races for Holden Since in the championship I think they've won What six Bathursts And five Bathursts And eight championships Or seven championships And seven or eight Manufacturers titles Very proud to Have had my finger In the pie there Um, Yeah So they're, they're You know what a, James Courtney getting him across and his first up win in Abu Abu Dhabi wasn't it? Yeah, it was Abu Dhabi. You know, those yep. sorts of things. Uh, Richie Crampton's um, win at the U.S. Nationals—we uh, cried that night. You know that was to to being a kid reading Hot Rod magazines and to go to the biggest drag race on earth, the 60th an, uh, annual U.S. Nationals, the biggest drag race, the most crowds. Um, and he was just incre- he reached the final of the Top Fuel shootout, which was a, a race within a race. But then come race day on on uh, the long weekend Monday, which the Nationals is run on, and for him to win that event, beat Steve Torrance in the final, that was uh, that was just wonderful. And and I ranked that right up there with Garth's Bathurst win and Murph's Bathurst wins and the 24 hour wins and just wonderful bits of um, Australian motorsport history that I've been very proud to be part of, you know, in a, in a small, minor way. And like I always said, Lockie, it's, when you're doing PR and stuff, it's not about you. So it's very rare to see a photo of me, you know, with a team or in the background.
0: Indeed, and, and that brings us pretty much full circle all the way back to the start of the podcast. So we're just about done but before we finish up, we have a segment that I finish up along with my podcasts with, and it's called Checkered Flag Choices, and it's basically speed dating by a fancy name. So I'm going oh, and five we know how questions. good you are at
1: speed dating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know what to say in response to that. Um, is that a reference to the fact that I, I never seem to be able to? Date for very long periods of time or so you're very good at speed dating. It's all over <laughs> and done with quickly, mate. <laughs> Correct. So basically I'm going to ask you five questions and you have to answer them as succinctly as you can. So question number one: your favorite holiday destination? USA. Is that because of the drag racing? <laughs> yep. Yep. Who are three people that you would invite to dinner? Roland Dane, Paul Morris,
1: and Bonds. Simon. Oh, I'm Peter Altman, a holding dealer from Adelaide and Chubby. There you go.
0: All right, yeah, all right. We'll, we'll give you that one. We'll allow you to stretch as a five. five. Yeah. Well,
1: it's, it's like when you're at that restaurant and you book for four, right, and six turn up. You just find a couple of extra chairs. Yeah, there'd be some pretty cool
0: stories at that dinner, that's for sure.
1: Oh, I tell you what, uh, going to dinner with Roland's fantastic. He, too many people criticise him out there in the world that people don't know him. When you know, actually know the bloke, I respected and admired him and liked him when he was with the Ford, you know, they were running Fords. And, and uh, when we actually got to know the bloke, you just like him even more.
0: Question number three, what's your dream car?
1: E63, Mercedes-Benz AMG.
0: Very nice. You actually drive a Mercedes-Benz at the moment, don't you?
1: Yes, unfortunately, Holton wouldn't give me a discount after 17 years, and uh, so I bought a Mercedes-Benz uh, out, out of, because oh, I had the shits up, and because uh, I wanted to buy one of the last of the Commodore V8s, and I was told blankly, yes, no. And I mean, it made a big difference in the price. Uh, and I'd already bought six or eight Commodores before that. So I thought, yeah, it was time that was due. And uh, then not long after I bought the Benz, one of the idiots that um, had you know, pushed Simon out and got rid of me said to me, oh, we'll, we'll give you an employee discount now. And I said, well, it's too late. I've already bought a car. So there you go. That's how silly they were.
0: Question number four. Best advice you've been given about motorsport?
1: Like I always used to say to you, Lachlan, know when to stick your head up and know when to duck.
0: Love it. And final question, the racing driver that you respect the most.
1: Jamie Winkup or, or Garth Tander or I it look, you know, in supercars I, I the three or Oh, oh, oh gee, some Jamie Winkup, let's say look, gets a lot of hate from some of the public. Um, got the ass very early in his career came back uh, basically just said to Roland he wanted to drive didn't ask about money which other drivers did copped what he was given, went out there, won the first race, he got a bit lippy because he was driving a Ford and Roland said hey because he hooked into Holden uh, Roland said hey don't do that again uh, ever Because you never know um, And uh, has become a wonderful statesman For the sport I think Seven championships um, Bathurst wins Makes mistakes Accepts that he makes mistakes uh, Like at Bathurst um, And moves on And just uh, focuses on the next thing um, uh, Just just Elite Elite champion
0: Hmm Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, Gerald. Well, we've taken a lot of your time, but uh, thank you for those insights. I think a lot of people who follow motorsport but might not necessarily appreciate or be aware of a lot of what goes on behind the scenes, especially from a media perspective, are going to take a lot out of this. So uh, we do very much appreciate your time and uh, hopefully see you trackside at a real racetrack very soon. Uh, mate, yeah, I haven't been a lot since uh,
1: since I stopped doing the Holden thing, so hopefully hopefully we get over the isolation deal and we go racing again soon, and uh, yeah, I'd love to be back. I'd love to a chat with you again, and, and uh, you're doing a great job, you're making us very proud. Good on you, mate.
0: It was a pleasure to have Gerald as a guest on this podcast. He's someone whose contributions to the Australian motorsport community aren't recognised as much as he deserves especially his efforts to promote the sport to a mainstream audience. And that's exactly what we aim to do on this podcast, shining the spotlight upon those whose achievements in the sport should be acknowledged. If you'd like to suggest a guest, shoot us a message via our social media channels. I'm Rocky Mansell. Thanks for listening.